0: Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Today on the show, I am thrilled to welcome my dear friend, my Commune co founder, and longtime business partner, Jacob Laub. Jake has overseen the production of more than 140 courses now on the Commune platform and is also a yoga teacher and a former professional ballet dancer. In our conversation, we explore the question what happens when you know too much about how to be healthy? And admittedly, there's some irony here as Commune is an online course platform for health and integrative medicine, and I'm all too frequently doling out information about health here on the podcast, but this is not a trivial matter. Millions of U.S. adults have some form of eating disorder with approximately 1% suffering from a condition known as orthorexia, which is an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. And as with all psychological disorders, many of us are somewhere on the spectrum. So immersing yourself in health-focused content is, of course, a profitable endeavor. But you can easily start thinking in terms of unending, incessant improvement. If eating well increases health, then you should be able to draw that line out and up indefinitely, right? But focusing on one area of your health to an extreme can quickly degrade other areas. For example, your social connections. Like sometimes I find myself not going out to dinner with friends and having that joyful connection because I know everyone will be gorging on pizza, right? So I've spent the past five years reading books and interviewing guests on this podcast and every day I'm exposed to someone telling me something new about what to eat, how to move, what to think. And my guess is that many of you are too. Like, should I be ice plunging in 40-degree water while on a pomegranate fast as I chant Hindu mantras and stare at a drishti? I don't know. But the question is, how do we walk a middle path, one in which you embrace a healthy lifestyle without adding unneeded anxiety to your life? So that's what we get into. But before we dive in, I'm so grateful to those of you who write reviews on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference because it actually works the recommendation engine so more people listen to the show. So it's really important. So I'm so grateful that I've created this offer of 30 days of free Commune membership. That's all access for a whole month. So just scroll down to the review section and tap write a review, and then email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your review, preferably a good one, to receive your free all access for 30 days. And of course, while you're there, make sure you're subscribed. Okay, my conversations with Jake are always lively and humorous, thoughtful, and full of stories and anecdotes, and this one was a pleasure to record. So I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Jake Laub. Jacob Laub, hello. Hello. My friend, welcome back. Jeff Krasnow, good to be back. Okay, so we're convened again. We were together about two months ago talking about communes and intentional communities. And today we're going to talk about another topic that you have a direct relationship with by dint of your own personal experience. Um, so maybe I'll begin by saying, Five years and eight or nine moons ago, we founded Commune with the ambitious mission of bringing wellness to a billion people. And if they can do it with hamburgers. We can do it with video <laughs> online courses. That's true. We we put up our not so golden arches. Um, and uh, this is an episode about overshooting the mark. And maybe we educated some people too much about you mean being healthy ourselves.
1: Basically, <laughs> you're saying that I've directly produced 150 online wellness courses over the past five years, directly been involved, listened to them, et cetera. And that's a lot of information and to dos and hacks related to personal wellness.
0: Absolutely. And then on my side, I've read hundreds of books and sat in this very seat with many a doctor, nutritionist, sage, mystic, and other Yogi teacher, some ilk. And of course, because we are curious human beings, we have not been shy about applying many of these pills and praxis and mushrooms and modalities on ourselves. So just as product of our own end of one experiments and jumping into our own Petri dishes, that's been very gratifying, but also somewhat overwhelming at times. And, you know, dovetails with this emerging condition, though I believe it was originally dubbed in 1998, but it seems to be more in the zeitgeist now. And the word is orthorexia.
1: Yeah, I'll give a little more background on myself. I was a professional dancer and, particularly, a professional ballet dancer in a previous lifetime then a yoga teacher, then creating online video courses. Back in the ballet days, anorexia was talked about, but certainly not orthorexia. That was not a term that was bandied about.
0: Yeah. You are going round the circle of samsara here in your various <laughs> vocational iterations, but all of them that have some very deep connection to the body. So maybe we start with anorexia. And we'll do some definitional work here up top to our, the best of our ability. So what is what does anorexia mean? And what's the difference between anorexia and anorexia nervosa, et cetera? And we'll back our way into the yes, ortho.
1: You're gonna stretch the limits of my Greek, but I did okay. some research before this. Orexia, eating, and, uh, the A is the not. Okay. So not eating, anorexia. And then nervosa is nervously or you could say pathologically so nervously, not eating would be the direct
0: translation. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I think that is the direct translation. I think more clinically might be um, sort of nervosa represents the pathology or the psychological state, et cetera. And then the, the anorexia is the sort of without appetite or not eating component. Obviously this has incredibly detrimental knock-on impacts and, you know, it's obviously considered a mental disorder, but it is distinct from orthorexia. So in what ways? Ortho
1: is like correct or right, or literally straight eating nervously (laughs) 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 or pathologically. And the interesting thing there is that anorexia is at this point, culturally, Something you do nervously, quietly—it's it's, there's a shame component to it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a the shame component to orthorexia too, but it—it's often something that people are evangelizing themselves or looking at others doing it and saying, "Look at how well I'm eating," or feeling good in a certain way about it. But then it's kind of like a cage with wallpaper—you don't—you don't even necessarily realize that you've put yourself. In a cage
0: yeah absolutely i mean anorexia obviously is very clearly identified as a mental disorder and connected uh, or, or correlated with so many you know other mental disorders depression and anxiety etc um orthorexia is very different in that respect it's not necessarily characterized um from a kind of the dsm perspective w- with those things but it but has its other kind of signatures so Though, interestingly, it is correlated with things like OCD
1: and other mental disorders and that can lead to a tendency to be more susceptible to falling down the orthorexic
0: wormhole. It's actually ironic now that I think about it that it means ortho, the the prefix means right or correct or straightened. And so then I think of the other orthos that I don't like, (laughs) like, um, like orthodox religion, or the orthodontist—two <laughs> <laughs> things that I seem to assiduously avoid. Um, anyways, orthorexia. So, how does orthorexia actually present, kind of more day to day to people? Well, let me let me speak a little bit about my own
1: experience. Which, mm-hmm. with all of these conditions, there is the there is a spectrum, and it's a little unclear from a clinical. It's it's difficult to from what I've been reading. It's difficult to sometimes clinically. Diagnose something like orthorexia because it has positive aspects to it. Um, but it is being so focused on eating well that it is interfering with your life in a whole variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. So I remember um, Julia and I showing up to a breakfast. So literally, we had not eaten all day for a religious holiday, with our own food, because we didn't want to eat the food that was going to be there. And like, nervously in the corner, like to make sure that we weren't offending the host and yet we weren't going to eat the food and yet we were in the corner eating our own salad.
0: Yes. That is certainly a presentation in that particular case of orthodox orthorexia. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually had that in my notes as I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, those people that show up at the dinner parties and bring their own food, or okay. or
1: don't go. I mean, or that's, don't go, and that's yeah. kind of what happens. Is like you're calling ahead to the restaurant to make sure that they are have something that you can eat, or you're turning down social engagements because you're worried about what you're going to eat. Yeah, I mean, it can interfere in many, many different
0: ways. From a social perspective, essentially it can uh, truncate or abbreviate your social connections just because of this obsession that you have with what might be served at that event or dinner party. Yes, yes. And obviously, we know we have a com- company called Commune.
1: <laughs> so, we this was knew. in my notes too
0: that, yeah, <laughs> social connections are
1: maybe, in fact, the Harvard study, Waldinger, that you right. just on the podcast, the number one predictor of health and longevity is the strength of your social connections. So, you might be trading the wrong things.
0: Right. So you, you might be, you know, eating, you know, your broccoli and your quinoa or whatever. Oh, that's basic level stuff. We're on to like yeah, but, broccoli sprouts. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. But, no, fair enough. I'm just trying to make this more accessible <laughs> <laughs> to the average orthorexic.
1: Plankton, crowd juice. Come
0: on. But... Um, but what you're sacrificing there. So you might be eating those things and getting the benefit of those micronutrients and polyphenols and all, all that stuff. But what you're sacrificing there is um, that social connection that is so prevalent around food. And obviously you look at the blue zones and this is one of the signatures of that, right? So Well, and then the other thing is you're also giving yourself a serving of stress almost mm-hmm.
1: always at, at that level. and And certainly yeah. anyone who's, Again, this is a spectrum. So if you've ever like gone and maybe had a meal that wasn't ortho stri- straight yeah. like on the line and then you're super stressed about it and yeah. then almost trying to make it up in your other eating and we just did a course on intermittent fasting with Dr. Will Cole and he said something great which was essentially like don't serve yourself up a serving of stress with your food
0: <laughs> yeah i wonder what the usrda allowances for stress <laughs> zero <Small>. <laughs> zero <laughs> okay fair enough um well then and then when you do deviate from uh your stringent plan there is a sort of a self-immolation right there's a, like a self-punishment that goes along with that and then you know there's shame and guilt and yeah, yeah, and
1: I want to be clear that I actually don't think that I actually I, I would have clinically diagnosed myself. There are much, much, much more extreme versions of this, mm-hmm. but I feel that I have enough, I've given myself enough self-shame and stress about what I've eaten. Mm-hmm. It's been a process that has been something that I've actively had to work on and start to unwind.
0: Yeah, and obviously there's a strict focus on, on, Quality of food. But well, that is actually part of the definition of orthorexia, which Mm
1: -hmm. is obsessively focused on the quality of food, which is interesting because for I thought I was very progressive saying for recently and for quite a while that I was a qualitarian. When people ask, like, oh, are you, you know, vegan, vegetarian, whatever? I was like, no, I'm a qualitarian. I'll eat meat, but if it's a good from a good source, and I actually still do believe that. But then, it, it literally is a straight line out over the cliff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, associated with eating the highest quality is also a a, a judgment uh, or feeling of moral superiority <laughs> over those who do not. Not in every case, obviously, but I look at like vegans, for example, and the ve- the vegan police never goes off duty. <laughs> you know, like that. Okay. And so. Um,
1: the qualitarian yeah. police also sometimes can never, especially with parents or in-laws and, and then you bring children into it and it's a whole other, it's like this is something that's out of your control, but you feel so, I mean, there was a point where Julia, I caught Julia stuffing spinach into blueberries
0: like wow yeah and i was like listen this is yeah we used to shoot our oranges <laughs> full of like syringes of vodka so that's how we would sneak alcohol into the football games but this is a different oh, I approach
1: you're gonna say to like make your children go to sleep or something <laughs> yeah. i was like brilliant oh we did that too yeah, except but, uh, as
0: we know alcohol does yeah, not yeah. actually improve sleep sleep quality and no. another yeah. podcast um fair enough well that seems slightly overboard so i, I wonder how she, how did she actually get the spinach did she was, was this is like a dehydrated spinach no no i
1: did there were large blueberries i, I large blueberries I, I don't know i did remember this though and anyways right it, it's like and she wasn't she's not alone in this i'm calling her out in
0: that particular i anecdote. think she is alone <laughs> in, in this, actually <laughs> <laughs> but okay fair enough yeah there are other people who have taken extreme measures. No, I'm saying
1: that I, I am part of the relationship <laughs> yeah. and also have yeah. been known to, like, you know, put the syringe of fermented cod liver oil in Mava's mouth. And
0: anyways. Yeah. So, obviously, this... Phenomena is in no small part a reaction to kind of diet culture and influencer culture, right? Because here we are, um, you know, all trying to attain some kind of, well, unattainable, really, perfection of beauty that is, you know, you don't have to turn your head just to see it um, you know, on Instagram or billboards or newspapers or magazine covers, et cetera. Um, and, you know, requisite to that is, is like a a comparison, you know? Um, so it's like, you're either, I mean, we quickly address this notion of like, you know, you see someone on the street, um, maybe they're fry, French fry shaming. Is that what you're talking about? Fry shaming. yeah. Yeah. Maybe they don't appear to be too healthy. They're eating a big Mac and you're like, boy, yeah, that person doesn't have any willpower or there's a feeling of subtle moral superiority. I even want to call
1: it out right now when I was talking about like fermented cod liver. Part of me was like, yeah, I'm super on top of it and no more and I'm taking better care of my child because of something like that.
0: And this is is the process of
1: noticing and separating like what is a healthy care for your child's nutrition or your own nutrition and-
0: Well, yeah, it's also like I have the same reaction kind of in an ecological way of like when I see someone like driving a massive gas guzzler and there I am with my nice little electric vehicle or something like that. And then I'm like, oh, they really shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And then then you have to
1: examine your massive amount of privilege. Well, the gas guzzler is a little different, but certainly in my case, uh, especially on the nutrition stuff, the massive amount of privilege that goes along with having.
0: Yeah. So there's that, so there's that direction. There's sort of this feeling of moral superiority sometimes associated with the highest quality of food that you might be obsessed with. But then there's the other direction, which is like, you know, you're staring at someone well, you might not be, but certainly most people with like the most, you know, chiseled abs on earth. And you're like, oh, okay, well, wait a minute. Like I'm not enough, you know, and now I'm chasing that thing. And so that also fuels your orthorexia in this other direction of unhealthy obsession?
1: Well, you say doesn't apply to me, but interestingly, one of the, I took perception uh, in college. It was one of the like required electives. And one of the things I remember was them talking about your idea of the most beautiful face is the average of all faces you've seen. Mm. And in my case, ballet is a profession that calls the population for ectomorphs, like people that are naturally long and slim, puts them into an exercise routine where they're exercising for like eight to 10 hours a day. And then that is who you hang out with all day long.
0: Yeah. And
1: it really gave me, like, it's not something you choose. It's like, these are the bodies I'm looking at for the most amount of time all day it gave me a very warped sense of what was a normal body. And I will say it was really awful for my first long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. I still think of some things I said during that relationship and were like, so off base. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would imagine that if any cohort in in the world has body dysmorphia, it might be dancers. I mean, certainly like my girls are dancers and I have the distinct privilege of schlepping them to competitions and recitals and whatnot. In fact, I have to do that tomorrow. And all they talk about in the backseat the entire time are bodies. So I'm, I'm very, um, very torn about it because obviously I'm so excited that they have a passion and that they're healthy and that they're moving their bodies in all these particular ways. And the, the double-edged sword there is that they, you know, become quite obsessed with this topic. Well, I had an interesting connect the dots moment as
1: we've moved through this conversation, which is that the as the health and wellness culture and education environment has exploded over the past 10 years, you know, when I was a dancer, the only way, if, the, if you thought, oh, I need to be thinner, the only kind of option that kind of mostly came to mind was don't eat. Yeah. And now there's actually whole there's this whole other panoply of paths that you can take but the the starting point is still a place of not enough um and it it but it still takes you to dark places it's just now not there were there were fewer options for your nervosa i guess
0: (laughs) right yeah absolutely i mean i guess the question would be like how do you thread the needle there um between having a sort of, I guess I would say, a healthy interest in eating good food and taking care of your body versus an unhealthy obsession with doing the same thing? Well, this is
1: the middle path all the way, and this is where my Buddhist leanings have really... I have to work when I most actively practice It is on this sort of thing. It is on the middle path because it is not one way or the other. And the middle path in some ways is, as you fully know, the hardest path, because if you're just going to go all to the one direction or all the other, you can just push it and you push it up to the wall. Mm -hmm. But the middle path is a path that is a balance and there's no right answer. It's constantly changing as your entire environment and life and psyche is changing
0: yeah i think the 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 bullseye there is that to be non-dogmatic non-fundamentalist non-orthodox if you will about these topics and have you know suppleness and flexibility and grace you know for for yourself i mean you bring up madhyamaka the middle way you know it's actually quite literally arose out of the Buddha's relationship with food, you know, he one left grain it, of rice, yeah. <laughs> he left his palace and went out and you know saw all these sadhus, and they're like, Oh, I want to be like the sadhus. And yeah, he fasted, you know, potentially apocryphally on you know one single grain of rice per day. Um, not sure how that's physiologically possible over time, but let's just give it to him. Um, and then you know, you're missing
1: it, some essential amino acids, right? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what
0: you actually are talking about, true. But he was probably having whole grain. Right. So anyway, he's getting plenty of fiber. Um, but, uh, see, this is what, this is the problem. We know too much about this shit. <laughs> um, so, but then, you know, Buddhist this is, no more. Yeah. <laughs> then prior to the, the Bodhi tree, you know, awakening, this was an issue. He, he basically, the Buddha came to the realization that, you know, the middle way, that asceticism really wasn't the path to awakening and, but neither was, sort of what became Epicureanism or Hedonism or something, you know, that, that there was this middle path, you know, between, um, indulgence and asceticism. And, you know, that's the tightrope. Yeah. Where I want to go
1: with this is that what is the deeper level and what is the deeper fear and not enoughness. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to fear of death. Yeah. And so the, Place I've made the most progress is actually working on my fear of death, and we'll make we, this
0: connection more directly because yeah, people yeah. might be like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" Well, he's <laughs> like, <laughs> so "You were just talking about uh, you know fiber content." Well, okay, you're, living yeah. in
1: living in a human body is scary, yeah. and our world is kind of scary. And we talk in the personal development side that you need to have agency and stand up for yourself. Well, what is one in this crazy world, what is it? One of the things that you feel like you can control on a daily basis Mm, is your food. You know, it is something that we feel we have a lot of agency about. And so as we move through, like, as we deal with the chaos of life and the fear that that brings up in us, this is why orthorexia and OCD sometimes can go together. That's, an attempt to control. And why do we want control? I mean, I love the, like the five whys. You just keep asking why, why, why? And if you do that, like, why do I want to eat healthy? Well, I want to be able to, I mean, it doesn't take five whys. I want to be able to live longer and enjoy life. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to, you know, do that? Well, I'm afraid of (laughs) death.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm, yeah, I'm afraid afraid of of it ending. Yeah. And especially a long, painful, protracted ending. Well, that's
1: Um, I mean, that's a more sophisticated. Sure. No, too much answer there, Jeff.
0: Uh, (laughs) But, but I just talking about like control and. Totally. Well, it is why, and this might be uh, a bridge into the sort of increasing um, obsession with devices and biometrics and biomarkers, et cetera. I think it's why, you know, people who wear like Apple watches, you know, they need to finish their steps. They need to get their 10,000 steps because that gives them a sense of control. And like, if you're 50 steps short, before you go to bed, you're going to like walk around the bed 50 times. I've seen it. I've
1: literally said, I, an employee, I was out finishing a shoot and it was dark and rainy and I was like under a raincoat carrying some gear back and she was walking around and I was like, <laughs> I was really surprised. Like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm finishing gotta, my steps. Yeah, gotta finish. And part of it was like, yeah, I guess we'd been, must've been fairly sedentary in the studio that day. And there's a part that's admirable. And then there's a part that's like, because physiology is not, um, it's not all or nothing. So let's just talk about your glass, half glass of wine last
0: night. Yeah. So the confession comes here on the podcast. So like many others, I vowed to be a better man this year than I was last year. (laughs) Part of that included dry January. Um, Glass half full. Um, I made it through 19 days last night. It's been kind of a slog, honestly, this month. We've talked about it. Um, And uh, last night I went out. You know, it wasn't like a rager. I just, when I was Skylar and the kids, um, but you know, there was a, you know, bucket mentality and I just had a glass of wine. Okay. You told me it was a half glass on the phone this morning. I know. See, and now I'm coming on slightly more clean. It was not a, let's say it just wasn't a country club pour. It was like, just a normal pour. Okay. And, you know, initially like, uh, it did taste good, but uh, you know, I wasn't in like receipt of this like GABAergic like relaxation, you know, the way that I would normally be with a glass of wine. My reaction was honestly just like shame and guilt. And I had made this promise and now I'd come up short and, you know, tomorrow I'm going to do a podcast about health, but, and you know, prattle on all this wisdom, but I can't even follow my own. And, Yeah, and that's the orthodoxy built in. And
1: as someone who knows physiology pretty well, how much of a difference is one glass of wine going to make into your lifetime of overall much healthier habits at this point? Versus versus the stress. And this is this is, I think, a really interesting conversation that I want to get into. Which is, we think that food is matter, and thus it must matter more Mm. because we're like you know, we're matter, we're made of physicality, and infused physicality. And so given the, the choice between like, I'm gonna eat this thing or I'm, if I don't eat it, I'm gonna worry about it. I'd rather not eat it, but like to have mental things. That's actually a, a more subtle understanding of the body that I'm coming to is that the body is just listening, period. Like your physiology, the gestalt of your physiology, is a big listener and it has all these different ways of listening and there are elements of food that we realize now are not even being digested by your physiology but are simply serving as communication that like that is why poly a lot of there's other reasons too your microbiome is consuming some some of them but there's information information in your food yeah and your thoughts are also information and you know what if you are so worried about the Whatever fluoride in your water that you are worried about it, guess what? You're already putting like toxicity into your physiology via the worry, probably more so than the thing that you're worried about.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we know this by dint of direct experience all the time. Like, I could scream at Cooper right now and be like, there's a snake over there on the floor. And if she believed me, we know the endocrine cascade that would happen from me just saying something, creating sound waves that would trigger this HPA axis kind of whole deal. And she would make a hormone literally out of cholesterol in her adrenal glands, a actually piece of matter, if you will, a molecule that would essentially have all these downstream impacts that would raise a respiratory rate and take all the blood away from her stomach and put it out to her extremities. Cause she'd be like, fuck, I gotta get away from this snake. And what does that do to your well, digestion? Well, that's where I was right? going is
1: like, yeah, stress hormone is antithetical for absorption of nutrients. So the irony right. is that you can eat a nutritious meal and if you don't feel it's nutritious enough and you have stress about it, you are actually, so then there's like something very meta, then do you stress about the fact that you're stressed about and then you need to go meditate. Essentially that's that's the answer
0: there. Well, but this is why never eat anything while you're staring at social media because the whole architecture of social media is designed to trigger your human negativity bias. And that will create an endocrine cascade such that, you know, you're not gonna digest your food well, this period. So stress and digestion are just, you know, oil and water essentially. You see where you it comes back to
1: introspection and contemplation, whether you want to say it's fear of death or whatever, yeah. there is a, you cannot escape yourself and your feelings about yourself and your feelings about your self-worth, and you have to ad- address them at some point.
0: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think you're right. It does often come back to meditation or whatever method that you can leverage to find a degree of awareness of your own self and your own bottom-up behaviors and your own unconscious. Well, you
1: notice, oh, I notice that I'm shaming myself for what I did or didn't do health-wise yesterday. First step
0: is always notice. 100%, and you, in noticing, you question the reward system. Yes. So you can build up these habits. You know, there's like some sort of, cue some feeling some emotion that surfaces you know we often talk about like eating our emotions for example right so there's some emotion that sur- <clears throat> that surfaces you have a behavioral you know reaction where, okay well you go to the cupboard and you get a bag of potato chips that gives you some sort of reward some dopaminergic kind of reward you sit in that reward space and then you repeat that behavior such that it becomes deeply embedded kind of neurally uh, and somatically. And then all of a sudden you have a habit, you know, and that reward system on, um, of course, is maladaptive really long-term. So <clears throat> finding that space, that awareness between stimulus and response, et cetera, always gives you that ability to re reframe, re question, you know, the reward system and is it adaptive or is it maladaptive? And, you know, I think it's extremely hard to do. Yeah. I mean, essentially to rewire your brain, to reestablish new habits that are adaptive.
1: But they are, I will say that habits are important. It's the grace when something takes you out of that habit or out of that routine to not then let it be
0: yeah, punish yourself punish yourself well that's honestly to bookend your outing of my dry january failure um yeah i woke up this morning and i was like okay you know i'm not perfect and today i'm resurrected once again with the opportunity to walk in my in my highest principles and all, here I go i'm off to the gym and you know that's fine and Just like give yourself a little freaking grace.
1: Well, and the other thing that I think is interesting is that we often, the the big benefits, this is kind of going to tie in a few different themes. One is in the content industry, we are creating content about wellness all the time. And yet the really basic stuff is really basic. Like sleep more, you know, eat, eat whole foods, Uh, mostly plants like to, uh, paraphrase. Oh man. I'm going to redo that. Eat whole foods. Not too much. Mostly plants. Uh, what's his name? Michael Pollan. Well, yeah. To paraphrase Michael Pollan, eat whole foods, not too much. Mostly plants like that. He started out with a really big book and then that's kind of the, the three sentences that he says sums it up.
0: Yeah. Major in the majors. Don't major in the minors.
1: Yeah. But as a content industry where there is a lot to talk about is at the far little fringes mm. of whatever it is and then i also think in our own lives we focus on like okay food i've learned a lot about this or exercise and and you try and optimize all the way to the very end but of course it's diminishing returns as you get versus looking at the whole kind of spectrum of your life and saying relationships sleep food exercise
0: yeah stress management
1: stress management where am i weakest actually and giving bring some attention and love to that whereas we often go to where we're strongest and focus and focus and focus and sh- just hope all the other pieces mm-hmm. fix themselves but we're <laughs> down to the you know half percent 1% percent improvements
0: yeah and let's be honest and and call ourselves out i mean we just released a course Where, you know, that, you know, encourages people to take two and a half grams of leucine, you know, or, or, you know, to, to trigger muscle protein protein synthesis, et cetera. And so, you know, there, there is that, um, i suppose you know level of specificity in knowledge which i actually find to be incredibly fun to learn about and you know we're both obviously incredibly curious about these things and if you're going to become an expert in anything right you 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 love to go into the, the details of things i think the you know, maybe Well, it's
1: recognizing mo- when it stops to be enjoyable because yeah. I actually have been following but a bit of that course and it's been great. And you know what, I've actually seen some really interesting benefits in my satiety and performance in jujitsu and things like that. And it's fun. Yeah. And when I don't like get my protein shake because I'm doing other things, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: Well, I think you made actually a good connection there maybe unwittingly, which was that, you know, you feel great in jujitsu, but that is a very subjective measurement of, of success or of health, right? And I think that where we get into trouble is when we separate, you know, the subjective measures of health from the objective ones. So it's very easy to, f- to focus on the objective metrics of health because like what you can measure, you can improve. And that is certainly true. Like I put on my continuous glucose monitor, I've talked about it, you know, endlessly. And that was really helpful for me. You know, I saw that my, you know, fasting blood glucose was very high and I took all sorts of measures and protocols to, to address it. And it was very helpful to be able to measure it as an objective marker. But I think where it actually then became adaptive and truly healthful is when I was able to actually marry the subjective feelings that I had about vitality and good health with the objective measurements. And that was like, I think the the Satori for me, which was like, okay, I don't need to rely on my aura ring score to tell me that I had a good night's sleep. Yeah. And-
1: I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction, which is, you know, in that course, which is JJ Virgin's course called Age Powerfully, fantastic course. She Mm -hmm. asks people and is really adamant that they track their macros, which in other words means like track your literally put into this app, App. everything that you're eating all day. And that was, I almost like had a conversation with her. It was a little triggering for me Mm -hmm. um, because that level of tracking would trigger, for example, in me, a cascade of other like control issues. But I recognize that for people that maybe have never done that and are are trying to do a significant body recomposition, they will notice, like you will certainly notice your eating patterns really fast and Mm -hmm. that it is a shortcut to recognizing what you're eating and to bring Buddhist philosophy, to weave it continually in here, It's like, it's the boat to get across the river and then you don't pick up the boat and keep going. Hmm. Um, And so can you use these sort of tools when you need them to create the level of uh, self-knowledge and attention in your life to get to the point and notice how they connect to the subjective, to feeling good, and then drop them, Hmm. And know when to drop them, and just go off of how you feel.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And know when to weave them back in when you need them. Like there is um, what's it called Hawthorne effect. So any um, any subject that is studied will behave differently. It's sort of like the equivalent of the, in physics, like observer's effect, really. Yeah. And so y- you will behave differently if you are. Being studied now, of course, with a continuous glucose monitor and OR an aura ring, you're essentially studying yourself. Um, but I do find that when I'm like wearing the CGM and I'm checking it regularly, that I do behave differently because I'm sort of under my own microscope, and that is helpful, you know, at times like during the holiday season, for example, when I might be like indulging or overindulging in too much you know, it's a reminder. it, it, it yeah. helps
1: remind you, Oh, wow. I actually really, I feel, don't feel very good. And I can see that I didn't sleep very well and I can track that back to etc.
0: Right. Yeah. I think the moral of the story is like, you know, we want to just feel good. We want to feel vibrant and vital and not lose sight of the fact that that is really the most important output, not how many, steps you may have gotten on any particular day. Yeah, well, I think that really
1: encapsulates quite a lot that well-being is ultimately so much more important than like how you eat or how you exercise. It's this constellation of factors that weave together that creates a fulfilling, vibrant life. And if you are experiencing brain fog and fatigue, it's worth looking into and maybe getting nitty gritty and detailed and experimenting and you narrow that's a narrowing of the aperture and then you have to remember to broaden the aperture once you've made progress on whatever your issue is Mm -hmm. Um, so as i feel we're kind of moving towards wrap up there is one anecdote related to this that i have been wanting to share with you because it's an anecdote i've actually told you before but with a different twist on it a new punchline a new punchline okay so uh, when you found, co-founded Wanderlust Festival, I worked on, was on tour with you for years and years and years. And we would show up at these mountain ski resorts where we would have the yoga festivals. But the crew and staff would show up a full week or three days or four days early. And it was always like somewhat comical, somewhat difficult because you would show up at these mountain restaurants because we were away from home in hotel rooms. And the options were very limited and much more like mountain food. Um, And the poor waiters would know us because we'd go to the same resorts every year. And they would come to the table, big table, because all the staff was eating together and like get all of the special diet. Can you do the broccoli but with no oil and steamed? And can you do this and this and that? Is the pasta gluten-free? Do you have gluten And I just remember one particularly frazzled waiter just like let out this long sign was like, guys, the Wanderlust yogi menu starts tomorrow. Can you just order? (laughs) And I used to tell it almost as an anecdote as how bad the mountain food was. Hmm. And now I look back and I actually say, wow, how inflexible were we? Like a day or two later, the food trucks of like organic non with lentils grown and you know smashed by organic elephants was coming. And we couldn't just like have pasta for one night.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, um, well, we're both obviously Alan Watts aficionados and, and fans, and you know, he often Talked about how we, you know, confuse the symbol of something for the thing itself. Yeah. The map for the territory, the map for the territory, the menu for the food. And, you know, for example, like your bank account with what wealth really is. And uh, it's actually interesting. I think I read somewhere that orthorexia is actually highly correlated with people that are like, um hand wringers about their finances like they they balance their checkbooks you know assiduously. This is not a necessarily a bad thing to do.
1: None of this is bad things yeah. to do. that's that's kind of the whole that's why it's so difficult. That's why it's not anorexia. it's or it's something that is evangelized and is such a difficult tightrope to walk.
0: 100%. And I, I think where I'm going here is that your true wealth, is not represented by the balance in your checking account. Your true wealth is really the sum of all of these different components of your life. And, you know, I would say, so is your true health. It says you look across, you know, the gamut of what it means to be holistically well, we talk about this, you know, quite often with commune is, you know, yes, that is, there is a certainly a physiological, um, component to that, but obviously a relational and social and psychological and emotional and financial, and all of these components that go in to what it means to live a full and vibrant life And that life, like any mystical experience must be felt as the product of direct experience. And yes, we can create proxies for measuring those things. That's fine but never lose sight of the fact that this is a subjective feeling and that is what it truly means to be alive and you have to be ready
1: and there and present and open to notice that feeling when it walks into your life
0: true true okay mic drop um well done always fun we'll find another topic soon for sure jeff love it I hope you enjoyed that lively conversation with Commune co-founder Jacob Laub. I left this conversation pondering some fundamental questions such as how am I defining health in my life? How narrowly or broadly do I feel a sense of freedom within the lifestyle choices I'm making or is my health journey just a dismal dirge? (laughs) So it's helpful to remember that well-being is much more than what you eat or exercise and over-focusing on any one aspect can be detrimental to other areas. Okay. If you enjoy the show and would like to receive 30 days of free access to Commune membership, well, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Scroll down to the review section and tap write a review. Then email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your glittering, glowing, glamorous review to gain access to more than 140 courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders, all free for 30 days. And while you're there, make sure you're subscribed. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly any old time at jeffk at onecommune.com with questions, suggestions, criticism of the constructive variety. And that's it. I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jake Lau, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine cooper Mall, Silvana alcala gonzalez and Ryan Tillotson. That's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I'm here for you.